Hey, good morning. We are so glad that you've joined us. It's Christmas time, but we're talking about an interesting concept today, adoption. How's that fit? Well, you'll have to stick around and, and see where we go with that in the message in just a few minutes. Uh, in a couple of minutes, I'm going to be sharing from the first chapter of John about adoption and Christmas, and uh, then we're going to have a chance to sing a little bit at the end. We are so glad that you're here. We would love to know that you're watching with us today. Uh, it's important for us to, to know that, to be able to connect with you. If you have the North Point app on your device, if you would go there right now, open it up and go to the Let's Connect tab and uh, let us know that you're watching online, that would be outstanding. And uh, if you don't have the North Point app, you can send a text to 94090 with the message that says Guest NCC. And that will send you a link and that will allow you to do the exact same thing. That would be great. Hey, some cool things are going on. We're, we are talking right now about, about what's going to happen the week of Christmas. Uh, Christmas in Coronaville is the name of our Christmas Eve service and of our drive through light experience. And we would love to have you be part of that. Love to have you uh, invite your friends and neighbors, uh, the people that you care about to come experience that. It's going to be completely COVID safe and uh, you can drive through from six to nine on Sunday through Wednesday night, right before Christmas Eve and uh, experience the lights. Enjoy that as a family. And the first 500 uh, cars that will come through are going to get a box with gifts that, uh, that tie into our Christmas Eve service and help make it even a little bit more meaningful. We hope that you'll do that and be part of that. That would be great. Um, we want to we want to encourage you, challenge you to give back to God financially. And we want to make that easy for you. You can give electronically uh, if you'd like to by sending a text to 77977. 77977 that says uh, NCC Give. And we'll send you a link again that will make it very easy for you to be able to do that. You can do that through the app or the website as well. That would be great. Why is it important to give? Because especially at this time of year, we think about how God has given to us his son. And so uh, we would encourage you to do that and to do that joyfully and uh, to do that generously. If you want to send a uh, uh, check to the church, you can do that to the church office as well. And uh, we'll get that get that taken care of. We are doing a, a special offering in addition to our regular offering at Christmas time. Um, it's an, it's a, a recognition that for a lot of people, even in tough times, there are some end-of-the-year bonuses and a chance to just evaluate how you've been given through the year. We want to encourage you to do that, to give as a part of our special Christmas offering. It's an offering that goes completely outside of North Point. North Point. It, uh, it will go to uh, the Greater Lansing Food Bank, to Habitat for Humanity, and to an organization called Water For that, that builds infrastructure and wells in uh, underdeveloped, underdeveloped parts of the world. We would love to have you be a part of that. You can do the exact same thing that we just talked about in terms of uh, doing that electronically, just rather than uh, uh, clicking on the tab that says general offering, just scroll down a little bit and it'll say Christmas offering and you can do it that way. Uh, we're ready to jump in, so uh, we'll go to the message right now, and thanks again for being here, being a part of our service here at North Point.
Hey, good morning. We're on video today because on Thursday, Deb and I had a COVID test. We got the results back last night, and uh, either one or both of us are positive. We're recording on Saturday morning because I wanted to be with you and wanted to share this morning. Uh, no concerns about, about COVID. Our symptoms are really very mild, and uh, at this point, we're just uh, kind of working through the process and wanted to do what was right and be safe for everybody. So, uh, so we're here. Let me just say this about what's going on with COVID right now. 4% of our population here in the Lansing area in Michigan have tested positive at some point in time, which means that there's a lot of the virus around. It's a real deal. It's a real issue. Uh, people are going to come in contact with it. And, and I just want you to know, if you test positive, don't don't uh, spend a ton of time, or if somebody that you love tests positive, don't spend a lot of time trying to, trying to backtrack and figure out exactly where it came from. Uh, because the energy that you spend in that uh, is not really ultimately going to be productive. We, we had a healthcare worker in our house to take care of Deb um, last week that tested positive the next day, didn't have any symptoms. We think that's where we con contracted it, um, but we don't know for sure. But it doesn't really matter. Um, do do contact tracing, obviously, you know, go back and, and, and let people know if, um, if you test positive. Be wise, be careful, um, do the things that you need to do to help curb uh, the spread of the virus. Wash your hands, wear your masks, do all those kinds of things. Um, it will help the medical professionals, it will help uh, decrease the spread, and uh, everybody will be grateful for you for that. Um, one last thing about COVID, let me, let me just share in this way. Um, this may sound uh, a little bit counterintuitive in a moment, but, but in the midst of being very concerned about protecting yourself from the virus, let me encourage you to, to invest in taking care of your soul as well, your spiritual health. Um, there are a lot of things that you can do to do, do that. If you're able to, I would encourage you to be a part of um, of live in-person church. I know that's what I said, it's counterintuitive, but your spiritual health is so, so important. If you're not able to be here in the auditorium with us, be sure and connect with your life group, either, either in a small group setting that's safe, social distance, or by Zoom, or uh, just through email and, and phone calls, connecting with people that way. Have a team of people that you're praying for and that are praying for you. It makes such a difference in these times where, uh, where the virus is, is just moving forward. And there's a lot of concern, a lot of fear. Do that, that that'll be a great thing. Hey, uh, I wanna start today's message with a game. Um, I'm gonna give you some pairs of people and I want you to shout out the answer to the question, what do they have in common? So strike up the game show music and let's play What Do They Have in Common? Our first pair that you see right here are Jesse Jackson and Nelson Mandela. What do they have in common? Shout it out. Go ahead. That's right. They are both political leaders and civil rights activists. Uh, pair number two, Steve Jobs and Dave Thomas. What do they have in common? That's right. They're both CEOs and founders of major companies. Steve Jobs of, uh, of Apple and Dave Thomas of Wendy's International. A couple number three, Colin Kaepernick and Michael Orr. 
Yes, they're both retired from the NFL, except Colin Kaepernick. He's just not playing, right? Uh, actually, they're both former NFL football players, and uh, that's a pretty cool thing. Uh, couple number four, Eleanor Roosevelt and Nancy Reagan. What do they have in common? Good. They're former first ladies. They were first ladies of the United States. Here's a, here's a tough one. Number five, Malcolm X and Jamie Foxx. What do they have in common? Malcolm X and Jamie Foxx. That's right. They both have an X in their name. And if you're thinking, did Jamie Foxx, it was Jamie Foxx who played Malcolm X in that movie? No, that was Denzel Washington. Just want to make sure that you have that clear in your head. Number six, Scott Hamilton and Simone Biles. What do they have in common? Good. They're both Olympic gold medalist champions. Uh, Scott Hamilton in figure skating, Simone Biles in, gym, in gymnastics. Number seven, Ted Danson and Ray Liotta. What do they have in common? They're both actors. Good job, good job. Number eight, Faith Hill and Sarah McLaughlin. What do they have in common? Good, they're both singers. Number nine, and you might, might want to get out your device to Google the answer of this one. Number nine, uh, Bill Clinton and Gerald Ford. What do they have in common? Yes, they're both U.S. presidents. They were both U.S. presidents. And number 10, Melissa Gilbert and Marilyn Monroe. What do they have in common? Actually, they're both celebrities whose first names start with N. That's it. That's all I got for you. Uh, so, hey, great job. There is one bonus question. This one's for all the marbles. So be sure and shout out this answer, whether you're at home, here in the auditorium. Here's the bonus question. What do all 20 people in our game this morning have in common? What do they all share that's the same? It's this. They were all adopted. Every one of those, 12, tw those 20 people were adopted. Now, right now, you're saying, uh, Rick, that's the weirdest introduction to a message you've given in the last six and a half years. Where is this going? Uh, you know what? That's an appropriate comment because this is a weird time. It's a weird Christmas. Uh, our Christmas celebration is different this year. That's why Christmas in Coronaville, our, our drive through light experience, is so important. For you to come, be a part of, to invite your friends and neighbors to come and be a part of as well. Our Christmas Eve celebration is going to be different this year. Rather than an in-person event here with candles and carols, um, we we've prepared a virtual experience for you to do with your family at home. It's different, but it's going to be incredibly meaningful and valuable. Our look at Christmas, at the Christmas story in our Sunday morning messages, is different this year as well. We've called it Christmas with John. We're looking at the story of the birth of Jesus through the eyes of John, one of the apostles. The, the disciple that Jesus loved is how he describes himself. And it's a different kind of picture of Jesus coming to earth. John wrote this. Uh, this was the basis of our message last week. I'd encourage you to go back and watch it if you, if you didn't get a chance to see it. John wrote these words to start his biography of Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. 
Through him, through the word, all things were made, and without him nothing was made that has been made. In him, in the word, in Jesus, was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness hasn't overcome it. John goes on to say that that the word was Jesus, God come in flesh to the world. A few verses later, John continues and writes, uh, starting in verse 9, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world didn't recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own didn't receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Here are the words of the Christmas story that I want us to focus on this morning. I want us to zero in on and explore. To all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. John says this, the world was created through Jesus. He was there at the beginning when everything started. The world was created with Jesus, through Jesus, but the world didn't recognize Jesus when he came to the earth. Jesus came to his own, to the Jews, but the Jews rejected him. One of the things that I think that we miss in our culture, in our Western culture right now, is what a big deal it was to be Jewish, particularly at this time in history. God had made this promise with Abraham that all the world would be blessed through Abraham and through his descendants. And so for the Jews, um, there was this sense of pride, uh, and it wasn't just a nationalistic pride. Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm Israeli, I'm Jewish, that's, that's important. It was, no, we are God's chosen people to impact the world. That was a really, really big deal. John, the book of John, was written by a Jewish man 30 to 60 years after Jesus had, had been executed and resurrected. Um, it was clear in John's mind that the Jews had rejected Jesus. A week ago last Monday, one of my teachers from high school passed away. He was 92 years old. He was really more than a teacher. He was a mentor and a friend to me, somebody that I've stayed in close contact with. Uh, through the years. Uh, he was my choir teacher from 7th through 12th grade. And during those years, I probably performed under his direction more than 200 times, 200 different performances. When I think back about junior high and high school, Mr. Shand was a part, either directly or indirectly, of, of most all of my favorite memories from junior high and high school. That was over 40 years ago. And, and with Mr. Shan's death this past week, those memories in my mind are incredibly vivid. When John says, he came to those which were her, his own, and his own didn't receive him, understand that when John wrote that, his memories were incredibly vivid. The cries of crucify him, crucify him, from the Jewish people, would have been etched in his mind, the mocking of Jesus, Jesus' arrest in the garden. Even 30 or 40 or 50 years later, John could recall those in an instant, and they were very clear in his mind. John says, Jesus came to save the Jewish people, 
And the Jewish people rejected him. He came to that which was his own, but his own didn't receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. John says, yeah, the Jews rejected him, but some did receive him. Some Jews received him. In Acts chapter 2, only seven weeks after Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection, 3,000 people in the temple, 3,000 Jews repent and are baptized and launch the church as the first believers in Jesus. They come together. By the end of Acts chapter 2, the the writer says that the number that was uh, daily, there there were new followers of Jesus being added to the church. Um, By Acts chapter 3, the number has increased to a total of 5,000 men. Uh, In Acts chapter 4, the size of the church is is described as a growing multitude. And by Acts chapter 6, it says that the number of disciples were multiplying, no longer being added daily, but they were multiplying. And then comes Stephen's death that we talked about in a message just a few weeks ago. And with Stephen's, with Stephen's martyrdom, an intense persecution takes place for the Jewish Christians. The, the disciples, maybe as many as fifteen or 25,000, are dispersed throughout the Roman Empire. In Acts chapter 10, probably somewhere between 8 and 10 years after Jesus' resurrection, Cornelius, a Gentile centurion, a, a, a leader in the Roman army, Uh, becomes a disciple of Jesus. And the good news of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection breaks the racial barrier to the Jews. All of a sudden, it's no longer a Jewish religion, a Jewish way to have a connection with God, but it's for everyone. John's description is, for all who believed him, for all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to be called the children of God. Understand this, it's at that point in in Acts chapter 10 with Cornelius that the Gentile believers are adopted into the family of God. That's incredible news. Another New Testament writer, a, a Jewish religious leader named Saul, who later becomes a follower of Jesus, and his name is changed to Paul. His life is radically transformed, and he describes it this way when he wrote to the church in Galatia. When the set time had fully come, that's Christmas time, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the Jewish law, to redeem those under the Jewish law, the Jews, that we might receive adoption to sonship. God sent his son so that we could be adopted and become a part of the family of God. This concept of adoption, it's a favorite of Paul. Um, He also wrote to the church in Ephesus and said this, Long before he had laid down the the earth's foundations, he had us, you and I, in mind. He had settled on us as the focus of his love, to be made whole and holy by his love. Long, long ago, he decided to adopt us into his family through Jesus Christ. What pleasure he took in planning this. He wanted us to enter into the celebration of his lavish gift-giving by the hand of his beloved son. 
To the church in Rome, Paul wrote, For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive doesn't make you slaves so that you live in fear of God. Rather, the Spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. And by Him, by Jesus, we cry, Abba, Father, Daddy. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, we're also heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. A few chapters later in Romans 11, Paul writes, and he uses a botanical term. He uses the term grafting. That, and the picture that he uses is that you've got this alive tree with a healthy trunk, and you cut off a branch, and you bring a branch from another tree in and connect it to that tree. And the life-giving sap of that original tree feeds that new branch. It's grafted in and becomes a part of that tree. That's the picture of you and I being grafted in to the kingdom of God, being adopted, being co-heirs with Jesus. Jesus came for the Jews, for God's chosen people, but they rejected him. And Jesus gave the right to everyone to be called children of God. But in order to do so, you've got to receive and believe, John says, to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. What's it look like to receive and believe? Right now, in our downstairs at my house, on top of our ping pong table, it is flooded with gifts that we've prepared for our children and for our grandchildren. They're in the, in the midst of being wrapped and boxed and, and prepared for a trip to Missouri that we can give to them um, after our quarantine is done when we can go and visit. The gifts have been bought. They were purchased at significant cost. They're ready to be given, and they're ready to be received. But if they're never received, the gifts lose their meaning entirely. The only thing that they create is regret from the giver. If we purchase those gifts and take them and give them to our kids and our grandkids, but they never open them, they put them on a shelf and they say, oh, those are beautiful, those are so nice, but they never open them. They never begin to use those gifts. What a sad waste that would be for both them and us. For a gift to, be, to have meaning, it has to be received. For the gift of the Christ child, to be received, we have to believe that that gift is for us personally, individually, intentionally given. The birth of Jesus, his ministry, his death, his resurrection, it's not just a nice story. It's not just a great excuse to show love to the people who are important in our lives. It's not just a reason to sing heartwarming songs and to celebrate long-standing family traditions. The birth of Jesus is the beginning of what it takes to be adopted into the family of God. When you're adopted, you receive a new name. Two of the movies that I've watched in the last couple of years um, have adoption as their theme. One is Instant Family with Mark Wahlberg, an incredible movie about 
about um, the love a couple has for, for three siblings and uh, adopts them into their family. The other movie is a, a, a movie with the title Lion. That's, it's really kind of a heart-wrecking movie about this child who's separated and adopted and then goes in search of his, of his birth parents. As an adoptive child, he has an adoptive brother as well. And, and it describes the struggle of, of his parents as they seek to bring them in and be, become a family and the, the struggles that are there. But in both of those movies, there's something that, that's really cool that happens. As they're adopted, their names, the names of those children are changed. They take on the names of their new parents. When, when a child is adopted by a family, their identity changes. Their name changes. They take on the identity and the name of the people who have adopted them. In the book of Acts, in chapter 4, uh, Paul, uh, uh, John and, Peter and John are on trial uh, by the religious leaders. And they say this, Salvation is found by no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved, the name of Jesus. When John says, to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to be the children of God, he was saying, that the name of Jesus is significant. Belief in the name of Jesus, not just the knowledge of the name of Jesus, but belief in his name changes everything. Belief comes from knowing your father. Belief comes from trusting that your father has your best interest in mind. Belief shows when you begin to imitate and live out the values and the heart of your adoptive father. This Christmas we recognize that because of the baby lying in the manger, we've been given the right to become children of God, his sons and daughters. I I don't know if you've ever really stopped to think about it before, but Christmas is really an adoption story. Jesus was adopted by Joseph. He wasn't his birth father. He was his adoptive father. Christmas is all about our adoption into the family of God. Can can I talk with you just real frankly as as I close this morning? Over the years, I've known a lot of people who have adopted children or people as adults who were adopted. In each adoption, there's been an incredible amount of love from the parents for those children that they adopted. The cost of those adoptions in every case was significant financially and maybe even more significant emotionally. Adopting a child always involves pain. Our best friend's flight as they adopted a child from Moscow back to the U.S. with their newly adopted daughter who'd never been outside of her orphanage, who couldn't speak a word word of English, who was scared to death to be with these people their, their flight was filled with pain as that little girl screamed the entire flight. Other friends who have adopted older children with emotional needs ha- have struggled as those children have lied and stolen and lashed out at their adoptive parents, even trying to run away from them. Other friends have had their hearts broken as their children who they adopted rejected their values, rejected their home, and rejected their name. But that's also the story of our adoption, isn't it? 
we come to know Jesus and we give our lives to him. We're adopted into the family of God. We become his sons and daughters. And yet we struggle with our identity. We lash out with God when we're scared or when we don't understand what's going on around us. We don't understand what God's doing. Sometimes we even reject God's values and his love and his name. Adoption is never easy. The price that was paid for our adoption was severe in the birth of Jesus, in the death of Jesus. And yet, God still loves us. He still says, I have this incredible gift for you. I have this life that's so much better than the life in the orphanage, so much better than living in spiritual poverty, so much better than the brokenness that you know that you've become accustomed to. So take the gift, open the gift, embrace the gift, and let, God God says, and let me be the one who defines your identity. Christmas with John. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Adoption is the best gift ever. Merry Christmas. Yeah.
Go have a great week, and we'll see you back here next Sunday.